0: and uh, we'll have an enjoyable time together uh, out there. If you have some friends you want to bring, that's fine too. Uh, feel free to invite some folks if you want to have some people come. Uh, that, that'd be fine too. If you got a lot of folks coming, let me know so we can make sure we have enough food. But uh, if you want to ask a friend or two to come, that'll be fine too. We'd be glad to have them here. All right, right, Second Samuel chapter 23, if you will. Second Samuel chapter 23. And uh, I... I had an opportunity to talk with miss Kim today on the phone and I hope she doesn't mind me saying this, but, uh, some of the things that we talked about today, she was excited about the, the progress with Cameron and and things that were going on there. Um, but she mentioned a couple of things just kind of in passing that, uh, I know is a concern and I've actually heard one other person mention uh, some things about this. And I want to try to encourage us a little bit tonight. Um, Because there's a a difficult balance to to be had between understanding the fact that we don't deserve, we don't merit God's love, we don't deserve His love. But the fact of the matter is, He's chosen to give us His love. And while we're not worthy of it, because of His love, He does does give us a position in Him. Uh, There is some merit, there's value to us. Because of the love that God's given to us, and I got to think—I was thinking on that pretty much all day today, Miss Kim. That just that thought, and I thought, but when God loves us and we trust Him as our Savior, we become a child of the King. Uh, we're royalty, and yes, there ought to be a spirit of humility when we understand that a holy God, through no obligation, expressed His love to us and and our unworthiness of that love. There there ought to be an understanding of that. But once we've experienced and tasted of that love, we need to realize we're a child of the King. There's something of value to the Christian, uh, and and I want to encourage you in this. And, and maybe the message tonight will go a little bit towards helping us a little bit with this, because we're a child of the King. There's there's things that uh, ought to ought to be uh, it ought to characterize our lives. I'm afraid sometimes, and and Miss Kim made the comment today. And, I, and it is true. A lot of times we talk about uh, how we are not worthy of, of God's love. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll begin feeling like, well, we're worthless. We're not worth anything. But we are. We're very valuable uh, to God because of the fact that He's given His love and He's shed His love to us. And, and He's bought us with the price. And He's given us the position of being His heir, His joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ and to be a child of the King. And, and because of that, uh, we ought to act like that. There ought to be something about the life of us. I, I'm, I uh, watch and I'm, I'm interested sometimes over the years in watching the, the royalty in, English, the, 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 in England over in uh, Great Britain and uh, hearing some of the, the things that they have to go through. Uh, they dress a certain way. They have to have a, a even when the, the boys were, were real little, the two boys that were born over there to the Prince and Princess of Wales, uh, even when they were small, little children. Uh they had to have a, a certain um, behavior in public. Uh because they were royalty. They were part of the they were part of that hierarchy. And can I tell you this, that because we're a child of the king, we ought to live like one. Uh we need to we need to live in a way that is reflecting of him. The Apostle Paul said that he was an ambassador of Christ. Uh some of us are the only thing that this world will ever see that will point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. They may never pick up a Bible. And there ought to be something different about a, a, a child of the King, and there is value to you. I, I hope that we don't ever get to the place where we just look at ourselves and say, "Well, woe is me! I don't have any value." Uh, the same man that said, "I am the chiefest of sinners," said also, "I am an ambassador of Christ." Uh, he also said, "Be ye followers of me, even as I am, of, even as I am of Christ." And he spoke often of the fact that there ought to be a, a, a standard of life that reflects the fact. That we've been bought with a price. We're part of uh, the family of God. Uh, we've given, we've been given the wonderful privilege to be the sons of God and uh, the daughters of God. And so we thank the Lord for that. And, um, so I want to challenge us and charge us because of the fact that we are a child of the king, because there is some royalty. I want to bring a message tonight to try to encourage us in some things. Second Samuel chapter 23, and we're going to read in verse number one. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and uh, then there's kind of a parenthetical uh, phrase here that kind of reiterates that same thing that was said. And it refers to David now as the man who was raised up on high and anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. So all of this, verse number one, we're not talking about multiple people here. We're all talking about David. And these are just different ways of describing him. So David's at the end of his, his life. These are the final words. These are the, he's leaving his family. He's leaving his kingdom with these final words. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord spake by me and his word was in my tongue. The Lord, or the God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spake to me. And again, uh, all of those things in verse two and verse three is the same thing. They're, they're using different descriptors of God. Um, and he says, the God of Israel, uh, the rock of Israel, spake to me, he that ruleth over men must be just, ruling, notice this, in the fear of God. He, said, he was talking about the fact that God had put him in a position of leadership, in a position of influence, if you will. And by the way, if you're royalty, if you're a child of the king, you've been given a place of influence in this world. Uh, why God chose to use us, I don't know, and I don't understand, but I'm thankful he did. And he places and entrusts the most precious thing he has in our possession, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, to take to a lost and dying world. And so he's speaking of this, and he says, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God, and he shall be as the light of the morning. And this ought to be something that is reflected in the Christian. that We ought to be the light of the morning. When the sun riseth, even the morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God. And David understood his household was certainly not following in his steps. He understood that. He said, although my house be not so with God, yet hath he made with me an everlasting covenant. And by the way, if you're saved today, you've got an everlasting covenant God's made with you as well. "...yet He hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and for sure, and sure. For this is all my salvation, and all my desire, although He make it not to grow." In other words, he's referring to the fact that it didn't spread to his family. It was just with him, it seemed like. And there are times that you're going to feel like, well, I'm the only one. But that's enough. If God has given you His Holy Spirit to live and indwell you, and you are a child of the King then live like it, even if no one else is there. Even if the rest of your family doesn't go along with it. Even if the rest of your friends don't go along with it, at least you be a child of the king. Now notice what he says here, verse number 6. He says, But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. Now the sons of Belial, the word Belial is used... Twenty-three times, I think it is, or twenty-six times in our King James Bible. Only one time does it actually attach that to the name of a, of a person. And uh, that's in 2 Corinthians chapter number 6 and verse number 15, where it refers to Belial as Satan himself. So if he's speaking here of the sons of Belial, and Belial is Satan, then he's referring basically to unsaved men, those that are the sons of Satan. Uh, those that would be uh, wicked, folks. Uh, the sons of Eli uh, had re- re- rebelled against God and knew not God, the Bible says. And they were, re- they were called and referred to as the sons of Belial. Eli was the priest that was uh, serving in the, in the tabernacle before uh, Samuel and had been the one to kind of mentor Samuel along. His own sons um, had, uh, <coughs> the Bible says, knew not the Lord... And they were known as the sons of Belial. In Judges, I think it's chapter 13, uh, a man that was traveling along uh, was asked into a, a man's house at night, went into a city. And the wickedness of the city was a lot like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, the, the people in the city came and beat on the house and wanted, them, wanted the man to deliver the guest out. And uh, the Bible refers to that group of people as the sons of Belial uh, or the children of Belial. Uh, and the idea of the sons of Belial are those that are wicked, those that are uh, haters of God, those that are following after their old flesh nature and their sin nature. So look, look at verse number 6 and see what it says here then and with that in mind. But the sons of Belial shall be all of them as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken, notice this, with hands. Uh, a few months ago, uh Jonathan and I and Brother Eddie Oates went out there to his church and tried to help clear a little bit of the hillside there uh, in front of their church. And they have these bushes. I can't remember what the name of them are, but they have thorns on them. And I mean, they are nasty thorns. And uh, we were doing the uh, weed eating and uh, we even got a billy goat and was, were trying to mow it down. And by the time I got done about 15, 20 minutes of doing that, my arms were almost in ribbons and blood flowing down. Just these thorns had just raked my arms. And uh, we had these big thick um, muck boots on uh, walking around. And, uh, and so Jonathan got ready to take his turn and he uh, goes for a few minutes. He's like, dad, I got a thorn in my foot and it had actually gone up through the shoe, that real thick sole in that shoe and the thorn that was there. And, and and I thought of that as I read this about these sons of Belial that they could not be taken with hands because they they were, they were people with thorns about them. And by the way, um, these folks can be very, very dangerous to a Christian if we're not ready for them. Now notice what it says here. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron. If you're in the habit of underlining things, you ought to underline this next phrase here. But the man that shall touch them must be fenced with iron and the staff of a spear. And they, speaking of the sons of Elisle, shall be utterly burned with fire in the same place. I was reminded of the story of Jesus, uh, the parable of Jesus talking about the tares and the wheat, and how they uh, he was asked uh, the, in the story of the, the, that the parable, the the servants asked the master, "Do you want us to go and get the tares out of the the wheat?" And the master said, "No, let them grow together until the harvest, because you may uproot some of the wheat too." And uh, so he said, "Let them grow together," and at the end time, at the harvest, he said, "I'll sort through them, and the and the tares will be burned." Here we find. Kind of an idea of this, that these sons of Belial are going to be utterly burned with fire in the same place. Now, in verse 8, it kind of changes gears, but understand that he's speaking here of these uh, this, this one that's going to be uh, an influence over the people of God. He's going to, he's going to be the mighty uh, folk that is um, uh, an influence that makes a difference to the children of God. And he's speaking here, he says, "...but that man..." Uh, verse number 7, but that the man that shall touch them, the sons of Bilal, must be fenced with iron and the staff of a spear. And so I I wrote a question down. This is kind of the gist of our message tonight. The question is this. Are you fenced with iron and the shaft of a spear? Are you fenced with iron and the shaft of a spear? Now, now let's see what that means, All right, Verse number 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had the tachmanite that sat in the seat chief among the captains the same was adino the isenite he lifted up his spear against 800 whom he slew at one time I'm talking about one man with a spear slew 800 of the enemies of god men of war that had come after him. these are david's mighty men and these are these are given as illustrations of those that would be armed, uh, that would be fenced with iron and the staff of a spear. And after him, verse number nine, was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Jehohite, uh, one of the three mighty men with David. And so we have, uh, we have Adino, who is the first one. We have Eliezer, uh, the second one, and, uh, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, the men of Israel were gone away. He arose, this this Eliezer, he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave under the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to spoil. I want you to notice in verse number 9, uh, the people of Israel left. He's standing there alone. Eliezer, he, he's standing out there getting ready to, to fight these Philistines, the enemies of God, and he's alone. The people of Israel had left. They were gone away. And he arose and smote the Philistines. I want you to notice two things. He smote the Philistines until his hand was weary. I wrote this note down. Even though we get tired in the work of the Lord, in the spiritual battle and warfare that goes on in our lives, we need to keep on keeping on even though we are weary. Just because we get tired doesn't mean we ought to say, I'm just too tired. I'm just going to rest now. No, no. This man had a cause he was fighting for. He was a mighty man. And he he, he fights these men. He, he he smites them until he's weary. So much so, the Bible says that his hand claved to the sword. When the battle was over, he couldn't even let loose of the sword. His hand, and I don't know about you, uh, have you ever had those those charley horses where your muscles not up? And I, I get them in my hands sometimes. And my thumb especially will, will pull over and I'll have to reach over with my other hand and kind of pry it out. This is what this is what this man did. He, he continued faithful, fighting the good fight of faith, until his hand claved to the sword. He just didn't quit. He worked until his hand was weary. And he did all this when all the other men of Israel had gone away. I know people that'll quit the first sign they see that they're the only one doing it. Well, if I'm the only one, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand for the Lord. First time, we get a little tired. I remember years ago, I was coaching a, a football team. And uh, we had a, a, some 7th graders that came out to try out for the team. And we had a young man that came out. And uh, we got in the huddle. And then he was uh, going, coming out. He was on the offensive line. I think he was playing guard. And he, he gets down. Now, we're in Florida, so we don't have a lot of real dirt there. We have mostly sand, you know. But we got down. they got down their three-point stance. They uh, hiked the ball. They ran the play. And as they were coming back to the huddle, this young man came running over to me and said, Coach, can I go inside? I need to wash my hands. i got some dirt on them. Now, can I tell you this? That's not the kind of Christians we need to have. We need to have some Christians that will put their hand to the sword, and they'll fight till they're weary, until their hand cleaves to the sword. And you say, why should I do that? Because I'm a child of the King. There's a standard that ought to be above and beyond the norm. There's something we ought to be striving for. These men were mighty men. We have Adino, we have Eliezer. Now, what you notice in verse number, uh, verse number uh, 11, the Bible says, And after him was Shammah, the son of Aggie, the Herorite, and the Philistines were gathered together in a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. Again, the people are fleeing. He's standing alone. Now, notice what it says here. I like what it says in verse 12. But he stood, look at this, in the midst of the ground. He wasn't over there uh, on the edge of the field thinking, should I or shouldn't I? There was, there was absolute decisiveness in his decision. He, he wanted those Philistines to know, I'm going right out in the very middle of this. If you want it, come get it. Uh, I, 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 uh, I occasionally have taken my kids swimming at my mom's house in Florida. And certain times of the year, that water's kind of cold. And it's amazing to me how my kids will sit there and they'll take 15 or 20 minutes to get into the pool when the water's cold. I'm like, why prolong the agony? Make a decision and run and jump in there. Do a big cannonball. pop in the middle of it. Don't be indecisive. Don't sit there with your toe dabbling in the edge of the water. Again, that's not the kind of Christians we need to be. We need to be men of resolve and women of resolve. And we're going to fight the good fight of faith. And we want people to understand, this is where I stand. I'm not going to move. I'm going to be steadfast. This man stands in the middle of the ground, and he defends it, the Bible says, and slew the Philistines. And I want you to notice, in the last two men that were mentioned, the Bible says this, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Can I tell you this? These were ordinary men that did extraordinary things because they were willing to put absolute faith and dependence on God doing it. They were willing to endure the hardship. They were, endu- they were willing to endure the loneliness. Even if it meant doing it themselves and standing for God themselves and standing alone, if nobody else will, I will. I'm going to do it. Having the resolve, but having absolute and full dependence on God winning the battle. Now I want you to notice this, verse 13. And three of the thirty chiefs went down and came to David in the harvest time under the cave of Adullam, and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephim. And David was then in a hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men, these three that we just talked about, Adino, Eleazar, Shammah, they... The Bible says in verse 16, three mighty men, they break through the host of the Philistines, and they drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their own lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three, notice this, mighty men." Wouldn't it be wonderful if it could be said of us at the end of our lives that we were mighty men, mighty women for the Lord? There was absolute dependence and faith. Could you imagine the faith these men must have had? It reminds me of the kind of faith that David had as a young shepherd boy when he went out to face Goliath. The entire Israelite army had been there for days and were trembling and fearful of him. Here comes this little shepherd boy. He goes out to meet Goliath, and Goliath threatens him. And David said, you come to me with a sword and a shield, but I come unto you with the name of the Lord of hosts. He said, this day will God deliver you into my hand. Oh, that we would have men and women that had this kind of faith again. Folks, we're royalty. We're children of the King. There needs to be a boldness about us. There needs to be a rising up of God's people and saying, I'm going to do all that I can this side of heaven to war a good warfare, to fight a good fight, to finish my course, to keep the faith, to be steadfast, to be unmovable. If no one stands with me, I'll stand alone. Verse 18, And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Jerai, uh, was chief among three, And he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and had the name among three. Was he not most honorable of the three? Therefore he was their captain, howbeit he attained not unto the first three. There are some great mighty men that are going to be listed over the rest of this chapter. I'm not going to take time to read all of them, and mainly because I can't pronounce all their names. But there's a bunch of men listed here that were mighty men of David. And you'll find two or three different times, it'll say these were mighty men, but they weren't as mighty as those first three. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I could say, Lord, I want to be one of those first three. I want to be one of the mighty men. I want to be one of the honorable, mighty men for You. Take your Bibles and turn over to the book of Hebrews, if you will. Chapter number 11. Hebrews chapter number 11. We're living in some very trying times and this is no time for Christians to sit back and bite their nails and be fearful and anxious over the times. This is a time for Christians to stand up and say, I'm going to be a mighty man. I'm going to be a mighty woman for the Lord. I'm going to be a child of the King. And I will not fear what man can do to me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'll be strong and very courageous. Look in Hebrews chapter number 11. The Bible says this, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. I want to stop there for a moment. I had a great discussion earlier this week with a young lady that was not understanding the idea of what is faith. How do I have faith? And I spent some time talking to her about it. And notice what the writer of Hebrews says here. He says, Now faith is the what? the substance, something tangible of things hoped for. And the word hope, we've explained it before, is not the same kind of hope we use today when we use the word hope and we're doing it wishfully and maybe it might, maybe it might not, and I'm hoping it will. But the hope that the Bible talks about is an absolute confidence because of the promise of the One who made it. I know that this is going to happen even though it hasn't happened yet. And this is what it's saying in verse number one of Hebrews 11. Faith is the substance of that thing that's hoped for. I have confidence it's going to happen. And here's here's what I came up with with it when I was talking with her. It's it's treating the promises of God that have not yet happened as if they already had, having that kind of confidence in it. I don't hope that I'm going to go to heaven someday. It's, it's as real to me as if it's already done. Why? Because it's faith that has made this substance of that thing which is hoped for. I don't, I don't sit here and wonder if the return of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to happen. I know it is. Why? Because my faith has made substance out of that which was hoped for. The promise has been made, and while it has not yet happened, in my heart, in my mind, it's as though it already has Having that absolute confidence. Now this is the type of faith that this whole chapter is going to deal with. As it speaks of for uh, by faith, in verse number 4, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. Verse number 5, by faith, Enoch was translated. uh, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Verse 6. Verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned of God of things, notice this, not seen as yet. Moved with fear. Prepared an ark. You know why Noah was afraid? Because God had told him. It hadn't happened yet, but it was substance of what was promised. Verse 8, By faith Abraham, when he was called out to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance. When was he going to receive it? Did he receive it before he left? No, he was going to after receive it for an inheritance. Obeyed and went out not knowing whither he went. Why? He responded as though the promise of God... The command of God had already happened. By faith He sojourned in the land of promise. Verse number 10, For He looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And, and you go on and on and on throughout this chapter, of chapter 11, of these folks that had faith. Now notice as we get towards the end of this, it talks again in verse 17 of Abraham and verse 20 of Isaac and verse 21 of Jacob and verse 22 of Joseph and verse 23 of Moses. And these are all great patriarchs of the faith of the Israelites. But notice as we get down towards the end of this, the Bible says in verse number 32, And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, You know, the man who was going to defeat the enemies of God, and he calls the men of Israel, and thousands of men of Israel show up for the battle, and God said, that's too many. Send a bunch of them home, and He did. He comes back, and there's still a few thousand men there, and God says, that's too many. Send a bunch of them home, and He did. He did this until He only was left with 300 men. You want to talk about having some faith, That is substantive. Something you can hold on to. And he defeats the the, the, the enemies of God with an army of 300. Why? Because God did the battle. He had faith to believe so. Time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, and of Samson, of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith, notice what they did through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, I want to stop right there for a moment. We're living in a depraved world. Have you noticed? I wonder what a group of God's people who had this kind of faith, who said, I'm going to be a child of the King. I'm going to be one of these mighty men for the King. I'm going to be a mighty woman for the King. I wonder if by that faith it would be possible to wrought righteousness in a nation. It's happened in the past. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword out of weakness, were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. And we all say, Amen. Boy, what a great thing this faith is. Women receive their dead, verse 35, to life again. And others, notice this, wait a minute, not sounding so good now were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these, notice this word, All. What does he mean, all? Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and those who did not receive deliverance. Those who wrought mighty victories for the Lord, and those who, when people looked at their story, they thought they didn't win. They were martyred for the Lord. All of them had this kind of faith. So what's the point? The point is this whether God chooses to bless and deliver or whether He chooses to bless and not deliver, we're to have faith. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Now notice verse 12. Wherefore, wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside You say, how can I be a mighty man of God? We've got to consider Jesus. He's the author and He's the finisher of our faith. Notice verse 4 of chapter 12. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Not yet. You may have to. By the way, We're living in a time where there's a very good possibility that there could come a time you may have to. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of Him. We need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Ephesians chapter 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We're not talking about going out here and going to the army surplus store and buying armor. We're not talking about going to the gun store and buying a gun, although that's probably a good thing to do. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about we're we're battling a warfare that is a spiritual warfare. And there need to be some mighty men. There need to be some men that will stand and slay 800 of the enemies of God with a spear. A man who will fight through the weariness and when the war and the battle is over, His hand cleaves to the sword. we get to heaven, it would be a wonderful thing if God would come to you and say, child, it's ready. You can go ahead and put your sword down now. And say, Lord, I can't. It won't let it go. I know heaven's not going to be like that, but wouldn't it be wonderful testimony if we fight to the very end we're faithful, we steadfast to the very end. There's some things I noted about these men, about those that were listed in Hebrews 11, about those that we read about in 2 Samuel. They were fearless. We need, a, we need a revival among God's people of being fearless. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. There's a lot a lot of people today that are anxious about the times that we're living in. They're anxious about the day, the circumstances of this world. Can I tell you this? As God's people, it's no time to be fearful. Oh, no, no, no. We need to have faith. We need to have faith that conquers that fear. And say, I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. Now unto Him who is able to do that which is exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I I misquoted that. Unto Him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. We need to be faithful. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. We need to be fearless. It's not time for us to be fearful in a world of uncertainty. I noticed also that these folks were people of great devotion that caused them to do great deeds these mighty men of God that served King David, all David did was sitting around the fire one evening in the camp say, I wish I could drink of the well of Bethlehem. These men were so deeply devoted to the king that even just the mere suggestion moved them to action. Can I tell you this? Wouldn't it be wonderful? If just the mere understanding of what God's desire is would stir us to action. I don't need a command from Him. I simply need to know His heart. I want to follow what His will is. I want to follow what pleases Him. I want to go to that garrison of the Philistines. I want to wade through them. And I want to bring back that water from the well for my King great devotion that inspired great deeds they were men of strong faith they were men who had an ardent love for their king I'm thankful that I have the wonderful privilege to be a child of the king I want to be known as one who loves him as the greatest commandment tells us with all my heart with all my soul and with all my mind These were men of intense prayerfulness. These folks, often in the book of Hebrews that we read through, would hear from God. They communed with God. They walked with God. They were men who were unwavering. They were steadfast. And they were men who were undaunted. Men who are undaunted. Let's turn to one more passage and we'll be done. First Peter chapter 4. First Peter chapter number 4. The Bible tells us this in verse number 1. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind, For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. Peter says you need to arm yourselves, and you need to arm yourselves with the mind of Christ. To have the same spirit of humility, obedience. To have the same desire for holiness and righteousness. Peter said you need to arm yourself with this. And the question tonight is this. Are you fenced with iron and the staff of a spear? Are you one of these mighty men? When the sons of Belial come to attack, when the wiles of the devil come flying at us, are we going to stand in the day of battle? There was a young man, an Israelite man, the son of a king. And when the battle got hot, the king said to his son, I want you to go and I want you to fight that battle the Bible says that he fled in the day of battle. Because of that, God did not defeat the enemies of Israel that day. Several chapters later, you'll find that the result of that was the fact that those enemies who escaped annihilation that day for the children from the children of Israel came back and began to slaughter many of the Israelites. Why? Because a young man was not willing to fight in the day of battle. I don't know if he was too afraid. Maybe he was too lazy. But oh, that we would have men and women of God who say, I I don't deserve God's love. I don't deserve to have a relationship with Him. But because of that love that He's given to me, I'm part of His family. I have a testimony to uphold. I have to represent the King. I have to be an ambassador for Christ. And I'm going to tell you right, right, right now, I want to be one of the mighty men for Him. I want to be one that will stand strong in the day of battle. I want to be one that will, no matter if anybody else is standing or not, will stand alone if it has to be. I want to be one of those ones that the Bible says that these men were noble, but they weren't as noble as the first three. I want to be, I want to be like those first three. I want to be that kind of a mighty man for Christ. You're somebody. In the eyes of God, you're somebody. There's value to you. And I know we preach often, and we ought to, we should never feel arrogant that God owes us His love. Certainly, we find many examples in Scripture of people who come in the very presence of God saying, woe is me, falling to the ground, prostrate. Realizing their undone condition. And I feel like we can certainly have that that spirit of humility. But recognize that when those men got up, they were used mightily of the Lord. When Isaiah, who fell and said, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips in the midst of people of unclean lips. Notice that from that point on, God used Isaiah as His prophet, as His messenger when Paul fell on that Damascus road and said, Who art thou, Lord? He came up from that Damascus road meeting and three days later, he went on to turn an entire world upside down and write most of our New Testament. God used him mightily. Yes, there ought to be a spirit of humility. There ought to be an understanding that we do not deserve God's love. I am nothing but an old rotten sinner But because of God's love, He has no longer made me an old rotten sinner. He's now made me His child. And there's something to that. There is definitely something to that. Are you a child of the King today? Are you going to be one of the mighty men? We're living in a world where we need... Let me rephrase that. This world needs some Christians that will say, I know who I belong to. I know whose child I am. And I'm going to do all I can to be a mighty man for the Lord. I'm going to do all I can, ladies, to be a mighty woman for the Lord. It just takes a willing spirit. And it takes faith. Let's stand together, shall we? Father, we're thankful for Your Word it certainly is often something that can shake our faith, cause us to have anxiety, cause us to tremble, perhaps cause us to worry when we see the turmoil, the distress that this world is in, the moral depravity that it seems to be pursuing after and uh, running after, embracing and even celebrating. Lord, may there raise up from among Your people some mighty men and some mighty women who say, I'm a child of the King. I'm, I'm going to be absolutely devoted to my King. I'm going to be one that wants to be able to represent Him well in this world. That when He returns, that I can be found faithful.